beautiful morning that the Lord has made. And uh, our prayers that as we sing songs in praise to our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that no matter where we're at, we're praising him and he's receiving all the glory, even though we may be separated this morning. And uh, we pray that uh, his word would just be a challenge to all of our hearts uh, to trust him in ways that are, uh, uh, that are obedient to him and uh, faithful to him changing our hearts. And by way of encouragement to all of you, uh, for those of you uh, who may not know, but we pray every Monday morning as a staff. And uh, if you would like to email us or text any of us on the staff, uh, we would like to include you in those prayer requests uh, as you may be uh, separated from us uh, from Sunday to Sunday and throughout the week. Uh, we'd love to pray for some of the needs that you may be going through uh, during this time. Uh, just an, also uh, as an, a way of announcement and encouragement to the body of Christ here, uh, God's still doing some amazing things in and around our church. And uh, over the summer, uh, as you know, we, we had to postpone our vacation Bible school this year. Uh, but some folks throughout some communities uh, invited some children over into their backyards, and we call them Backyards Kids Club. And uh, so far, 125 kids throughout the west side of Cleveland have gathered uh, in backyards and uh, safely gathering uh, and hearing the word of God. And so that's a way of encouragement. Continue to pray for these children who may have heard the word of God and also continue to lift up the ministries that we have here around Providence Church uh, to God's glory and the praise of our Lord Jesus Christ. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Ian Shire as he calls us to worship and as we sing together to bring praise to our Heavenly Father. Church, good morning. Let's start our time uh, petitioning the Lord together. And Father, we thank you for this service that we can offer to you, Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise. I pray that it would lead us to adore you to remember what you've done and who you are, to rehearse the good news that Christ has brought us. Lord, our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, so we ask, Lord, that you would guide us by your spirit in our praises, inhabit our praises for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
church, it's good for us to be reminded of uh, our fallen nature, the sins and the things that we have uh, done and said and thought that were against God and God alone. And, and uh, it's good for us to not only bring those things to the Lord and be refreshed in our doing, um, but to remember that there's an assurance that accompanies that for any follower of Christ who brings his or her own sins before God and agrees with God and says, I have done this. Will you forgive me? And there is forgiveness. And so um, we will read together Psalm 51, a good portion of Psalm 51, um, to be reminded of our need for confession before God and our assurance that he will pardon us, a God who sent his own son for us. So let's do that together. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Out of my body, sorrow and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness, and life. Jesus, I come to thee. Out of my sickness, into thy health. Out of my wanting, into thy well. Out of my sin, into thy self. Jesus. I come to thee, Jesus, I come to thee. 
Thank you, Ian and Janet. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, would you join me now in a time of prayer? Let's pray together. Lord, at a time there is so much to pray for, at a time where it just seems like things are unraveling at times, Lord. And Lord, we know that you are still in control, that you are on your throne and you are God. And we rest and thank you for that. And Lord, we pray today that we would be a people that are thankful, that there are so many things that we give thanks for. We thank you for the blessing of our families, for the fact that we have had food to eat, for houses that we live in. And Lord, we thank you 
for those that brought the word of Christ to us. And we pray that we would be that to others. Lord, we, uh, we think of a time in our nation that seems so divided. And Lord, I pray that we would not be unified by organizations or philosophies, but that we would be unified by a person, the person of Jesus, that you would bring unity to us regardless of our background or nation or race, but we are unified as brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, I think today of people all over the world that are suffering as a result of uh, the coronavirus. I think of people in third world countries who are struggling for food. And uh, Lord, I, I think of people who have lost a loved one. And Lord, I know that you are with people when they grieve. And so we pray right now that you would help them to sense your presence. And Lord, I, I, I pray for those folks. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that you would use us even at this time in the lives of others, of our family, of our friends. I pray that you would convict us on what you want us to pray for. And uh, we pray that you would lead us. I pray for our missionaries around the world, in Central Asia, and, uh, and all over, Lord, that you would protect them. Take care of them, Lord. Lord, we pray as we go to your word now and as Joe brings uh, his, your message to us, I pray that our hearts would be open and that you would encourage us and convict us as followers of yours. In your son's name, amen. Amen. Uh, if you would, as a way to honor God's word, we stand together typically when we're here. And so if you're at home, I know it may seem a little different, but would you stand with us? I'm going to read Luke uh, 5, 1 to 11 out of the ESV translation. Luke 5, 1 to 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What an exciting passage. 
Uh, it's a familiar passage, I'm sure, for many of you. You know, there, there's something about people who leave everything, give up everything, and commit their life to a bigger purpose. Uh, over this uh, last July, uh, end of June, uh, while I was on vacation, I read um, about a number of people who did this very thing. Maximilian Klob, a, a Polish uh, man who exchanged his identity with a poor Jewish stranger, only to be one of the last men executed in the German concentration camps of Auschwitz. Or how about Charles Mully, who sold his multi-million dollar business and gave it away to start an orphanage in Kenya. Instead of living a life of Having her needs met from the church, Mother Teresa committed herself to a life of poverty, caring for unwanted children in Calcutta. Or how about in 2009, for two years, young James Barnett left his six-figure job at J.P. Morgan and Chase and gave up everything he owned to live homeless in the streets of Tallahassee and Atlanta, all to love the poor. Today, he's still telling people about Jesus and the poor as he runs a ministry called Clothe Your Neighbor as Yourself. And, and, and these types of stories and individuals about people fascinate us. Uh, they inspire us. And we ask, what has to happen in an individual's life? What has to happen in, in someone's life to do things like this? And in our passage this morning is one of those stories. And, and it's really not the first time Simon sees Jesus doing something miraculous. In Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 38 and 39, um, he, he witnesses Jesus heal his mother-in-law. We also know from Mark chapter 1, verse 16 and 20, and Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, that Jesus called Simon... Andrew, James, and John to follow him. But he, they didn't follow him right away. Because Mark tells us that Jesus called them before they entered the synagogue in Capernaum. And Luke tells us that that didn't happen until chapter 4, verse 31. Right before the story in chapter 5. And then when we come to chapter 5, Simon and the others are still fishing for a living. They're not following Jesus. And it's at this point, after Jesus has established his authority in chapter 4 of Luke, something transformational, some defining moment happened. And they give up and follow Jesus. They give up everything and follow him for full time. And as we launch into our story, we're initially confronted with a communication problem. Verse 1 begins saying, On one occasion, while the crowds were pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret as he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Uh, Luke tells us that a large crowd is pressing in on Jesus as he's teaching the word of God, but there's, there's, there's a challenge in them hearing him effectively. And he gets in Peter's boat and asks him to move it out. And if you go to the area, uh, which is the lake of Gennesaret near uh, Capernaum, also the lake is called the Sea of Galilee. If you go there, it's kind of like a natural amphitheater, especially if you're on a boat and you're a little ways out from the shore. 
it helps people who are on land hear better. So to improvise, verse 3 tells us, Jesus gets in one of the boats, which just so happens to be Simon's, and he asks him to put it out a little ways so that the people could hear him as he taught. And so Jesus is now in a position to teach. But most importantly, Simon becomes the focal point of what Jesus is trying to accomplish in him. And so there's this command that comes out in our dialogue. In verse 4, the story shifts from Jesus teaching the crowd to what he wants to teach Simon. He's already in his boat, and it says when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Hey, let's take this thing out a little deeper in the water. Let down your nets for a catch. And, and Jesus is not asking Simon like he, is asked, like he asked him in verse 3 just to simply sit in his boat and move the boat out from the shoreline to teach. Here, he's pretty much telling him to do something that's going to be very challenging for Simon. He's going to be getting at the core of how Simon thinks about himself, his identity. Put the boat out into the deep and let's take it out for a catch? Huh? What did he and his companions just finished doing with the nets. Wash them. Wash them. Jesus is pressing in on Simon's pride here. And you have to sense the weight of Jesus' invitation against Simon's frustration, his frustrating, unsuccessful fishing expedition the night before. And then how to politely respond to Jesus idea as a bad idea and so there's this conundrum how is he going to respond well he's peter and he responds brutally verse five uh, simon answered master we toiled all night and took nothing you can hear the exhaustion and the exasperation in his voice toil here um, means to work until you're literally worn out I don't know if I've ever done that in my life. I've worked where I was tired. But this is a very strong word that Luke is using here. They're exhausted. And then they're cleaning their nets. Put down your nets, Jesus? Really? We just finished cleaning them. We toiled all night and caught nothing. These are highly charged emotional words. What Simon is really saying here is, look, we know our job. We do this every single night. And now it's light. It's daytime. What makes you think that we are going to catch fish during the day when the best times are at night? And last night, we came up empty-handed. But then, for some reason, Simon decides to say the next four words. But at your word. But at your word. I'll let down the nets. You can sense this conundrum going on in his heart. One part of him wants to bolt home, take a nap, and forget about last night's failure. And then there's this other part of him who wants to discover more about Jesus as he's discovering that Jesus is not this ordinary man. It's why he calls him master. At your word, could also be translated, if you say so, if you say so. 
Simon's saying, look, I don't get this. I don't agree. I have major doubts that this is going to do anything fruitful in my life. I just washed the nets, and I'm going to have to wash them again. Seems like a big waste of time. But if you say so, if you say so, four words that change the course of Simon's life. Uh, there, there are four words that could change anyone's life. As parents, uh, Becky and I long do kind of hear these types of words when our kids were growing up. Uh, we would train them for first-time obedience, but we knew that there was a shepherding discipleship process. And when you began to hear words like this, you knew that there was something changing in their heart that was good. Please come first time when I call you for dinner. If you say so, well, that's progress. Will you stop complaining what's for dinner? If you say so. Would you stop hitting your sister? If you say so. Will you please clean your room? If you say so. You know what's interesting here is this is really a step of faith for Simon. This isn't a, well, if you say so, because I believe you're going to ask me to do something that's going to result in massive amounts of fish to jump into my nets. It's more like this. I don't understand how this is going to work out. And even though it doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to obey you. Even if I think we don't catch a thing, I'm going to let down the nets. Simon is reluctantly obeying. Listen, Simon's moment of truth is not built on a moment of clarity. It's built on a step of faith and obedience. The life God longs for Simon and the life God longs for all of us is not following Jesus unless we have absolute clarity on everything that happens, but one that is obedient to him in the midst of doubt and uncertainty. If Simon says no, we never read about his transformation. He never becomes a disciple. And he walks away like so many do who demand an explanation or require clarity or think they know what's best when they're called upon to experience something hard. But that's not Simon here. And we're thankful for it because there's something for us to learn. Instead, he says, I don't get it, but if you say so, I'll do it. Simon has no idea what he's about to see. He has no idea no frame of reference of what he's about to expect. It could be just a big waste of time. Or they may just catch a few fish that they're for dinner. Either way, he's choosing to listen. He's choosing to obey. Verse 6 and 7. When they had done this, that is, they go out to the deep, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the, their partners uh, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. To Simon's amazement, Jesus is able to do in seconds what he and his companions 
were unable to accomplish the night before, or for that matter, maybe for the month before. What are we going to see here is something more powerful is happening in Simon than filling two boats with fish. Jesus is drawing Simon to himself. And Simon will never really get there until he believes in the Lord of the catch. In an instant, Simon's focus turns away from the internal conundrum and the miracle because it cannot be compared to, it cannot be compared with the authoritative one of chapter 4 and the Lord of the catch right here and now. To his amazement, as amazing as it is to witness an, un, an utterly unprecedented catch of fish that seemed hopelessly unproductive the night before, Simon begins to see that someone greater, something greater is in his midst. And that moves him to his expression to Jesus, which we call confession in your outline. For, for God's sovereign purposes, this is the event that becomes the defining moment for Simon. Uh, he's beginning to see with more clarity who Jesus really is. And so in verses 8 and 9, says, But when Simon Peter saw it, that is the catch, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why? For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish, that they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Simon realizes that for him to have a proper relationship with the authoritative one, the Lord of the catch, Jesus, he must fall down, confess the truth about himself, and he's finally getting to the point saying, okay, I am in the presence of the Lord. It's uh, the word Lord as a, uh, as, a, as a statement of his divinity in Scripture. And so this is a section here that uh, Luke is introducing his readers to uh, Jesus as being the Son of God, the Divine One, the second person of the Trinity, his deity. Even so, if you go back to... Um, uh, verse 1 where he's teaching the word of God um, that can be translated uh, better as a number of commentators state that Jesus was teaching the word from God uh, which I like that translation meaning that God himself was teaching either way Paul, Simon here is beginning to sense there's, this man is the Lord, and he declares him Lord. And, and then look how Jesus responds to Simon. Basically, he says, no, I, I'm not going to depart from you. Verse 10, after commanding him not to fear, Jesus gives a future prophecy. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Here, Simon is learning something he probably, or hearing things, something that he probably didn't understand. He knows how to catch fish, but catch men? Uh, it's a different story. He does understand that Jesus is prophesying something in the future that's new for him. 
And at this point in the story, catching men is less about the Great Commission for Luke as he's writing and more about Simon's new identity. Uh, Luke does this in Acts chapter 1. He uses the exact same word. When he calls the disciples, you will be my witnesses, he's using a verb of identity. He's calling them not Christians, he's calling them witnesses. And Luke is doing the same thing here, using the same identity word. You will be catchers of men. That is your identity. And then he'll have the next three years of his life to kind of sort that out and learn. And we know this is not the first time that Peter's learning something in a boat. And this is not the first time he's going to be here learning new things about himself. But that will be his identity. He has something from Christ on who he is. And then you have this commitment in verse 11. When they had uh, brought their boats into the land, they left everything and followed him. Uh, There's something about people who leave everything and give everything up and commit their life to a bigger purpose. And we've just learned this in the life of Simon and his companions. So now, uh, by way of kind of observation and maybe application, uh, observation in, in that I, I really didn't have enough time to develop these uh, and, and were able to teach them. Um, I'll just highlight a few things about this passage and what we're getting at, because this is a critical period. Uh, where Luke is writing. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, he's writing to Theophilus, and he's saying, basically, I'm writing these words down for you so that you have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And this is a building block on what we have just heard last week about the authority of Jesus now being demonstrated in nature and in the transformation of, of Simon's heart. And so we have that aspect of Uh, this passage as we move into Luke, that Jesus' authority is fully established. Uh, Another thing of observation here is that God still desires to bless the nations and to have witnesses who will tell others about him. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham out and says, you and your seed will be a blessing to the nations. And if you go to uh, Acts chapter 13, uh, Paul is giving a history lesson to the Jews at Antioch, and he reminds them in verse 47 by quoting Isaiah 49, basically saying, the 12 tribes of Israel will be a light to the nations. Salvation will reach to the ends of the earth. But the 12 trials failed. And what Jesus is doing here is beginning a new 12. And these 12 will be fishers of men which will ultimately culminate in after the ascension that they would receive the Holy Spirit and have the great commissions that we are a part of. And so we have this development now of a new 12. And Simon and these, his companions will be the first. Uh, also then, we also have a witness here uh, from the Old Testament leaning into this point where Luke is writing about the beginnings of the reality of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, uh, 30 through 33, also called the book of consolation, is a book about the new covenant where God declares that he will be our God and we will be his people and that he'll put a new heart in us and no longer will we say, know the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 36 says God will cleanse our hearts. He will give us a new heart, replace the heart of stone and replace 
it with a heart of flesh. He will put the spirit in us, and now we will have the capacity to fully obey. And that's what Simon is doing here in obedience to Christ. Which leads me to the last point of application. Uh, we tend to look at this story and its miracle as a miracle of Jesus filling two boats of fish and probably maybe even the income that they got from it. What a great miracle. What an exciting uh, thing to witness, especially maybe if you're people on the shore. But we also have to realize here that there's other miracles going on that maybe are greater in scope. And the first one with this, for someone to get to the point where they would confess, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. That's a work of God in someone. And when you get to that point, that is a miracle. I did that in 1982, and I have all kinds of friends from that point on who got to the point by the work of the Holy Spirit where they said, I'm a sinful man. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that we see in Peter. At the end of the story, for them to just give up everything and follow Jesus for the rest of their life, and some of it cost them their lives, that's a miracle. This is the beginning of someone, some disciples giving up everything to follow jesus it's also a miracle to get to the point and say look i don't understand what's going on in my life i don't understand what's going on in the world i don't like my job i don't like obedience i don't want to trust i don't like wearing a mask i don't like going out in public i just don't know what's going on i wish it would all end my job is hard my kids are hard i don't get it but I do know God's word. He wants me to trust him. I'm going to do the things that he wants me to do in scripture, even though I don't. So Lord, if you say so. And so this morning, is there anything that you're resisting that you sense God calling you to? What does it look like for you to live and if you can say so life? What are you saying no to that Jesus is inviting you into? Jesus moves Simon in this short story from control of his life, thinking he knows everything that's best, to surrender, to saying, I'm a sinner in your Lord, and from your Lord to giving up everything. Friends, we serve, and if you say so, God. And if you don't believe we serve, and if you say so, God, let me remind you that the night Jesus was betrayed, He's in the garden. He's pleading with the Father. If there is another way to accomplish redemption of the world, let's do it. But not my will. If you say so, Lord, I will go to the cross and be obedient. Philippians 2 says, Being found in the human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Romans 5.19 says, As for one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by one man obedience, uh, one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We follow an if you say, say so Savior. It invites us to be an if you say so people. And it's a miracle when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us to say if you say so. And that's who Jesus is. He did that out of obedience so that he can pay what I am due he took on what I deserved. Justice. Paid the penalty. Obedient to the cross. So that I can turn to him in faith. And say, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Please forgive me. And on the merits of his death, burial, and resurrection, 
I receive grace because he is a graceful God. That's who Jesus is. And if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't thought about it, I encourage you to think more about it. But it was Jesus in the garden that said, if you say so, if you say so, let's be if you say so, people, for our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you how it's transforming. Lord, do a miracle in our lives. That even though we don't have clarity, that even though we have questions, and even though we think we know what's best, what you tell us, let us say if you say so, and be obedient and trusting in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Savior, whose love constrain 
them to toil with zeal untired from cowardice defend us from lethargy awake forth on thine errand send us to labor for thy sake we
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And everyone says, Amen. Pray all of you have a wonderful, glorious day. See you next week, Lord willing. God bless you.